and welcome to the Space Solutions podcast. I'm your host and marketing executive at Space Solutions, Sophie Scott. At Space Solutions, we have been transforming the UK's workplaces for 26 years, from design and build to workplace consultancy and facilities management. Whether you're trying to create a workspace that reflects your brand and better support your staff, or if you need help in choosing a new location, then our podcast will help you realize your ideal workplace through our special guests and case studies. This episode is about the consultancy-led design process and asking the right questions. By assessing a client's needs, expectations and goals, a consultancy-led design process brings businesses one step closer to building an office space that helps them to achieve success. The right creative team can help an organisation unlock the full potential of its workspace by offering a unique approach to every brief and innovative design solutions. In today's episode, Chris Carr, Associate Workplace Consultant based in Glasgow, will be joined by Lynn Clark, Associate Interior Designer from the Aberdeen Studio, to discuss the bridge between workplace design and consultancy, with Phil Muir, Space's Group Director of Consultancy and Design, chairing the discussion. Welcome to the latest of our 2023 podcasts. I'm Phil Muir, Group Head of Consultancy and Design at Space. Today's theme has the working title of Asking the Right Questions, and it's essentially about why we feel a consultancy-led design process is critical for the success of workplace projects. If you want to think of the different RIBA stages this podcast covers, we're concerned primarily with RIBA stages 0 to 2, though asking the right questions doesn't just end there. As RIBA stages 0 to 2 involve strategic workplace consultancy blending into interior design, I'm going to be joined today by colleagues from both these disciplines, Chris Carr and Lynn Clark. So Chris and Lynn, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Phil. Good to be asked to discuss a subject which has provoked some interesting discussions internally during the preparations for this recording. And for me, it's good to be involved. Again, our hope is at the end of the podcast, we'll have given you some food for thought and we'll also list ways you can get in touch. So it's good to know that there are people out there engaging with us. Anyway, back to today's topic, a consultancy-led design process. I'm obviously biased in that I feel that this process is vitally important to the successful delivery of workplace projects. The process at space has evolved over the years and while before it involved lots of travel to sit around a meeting table with clients conducting interviews or running workshops, nowadays we're as likely to engage with clients via Teams. Although that said, uh, we're starting to see more clients preferring face-to-face engagement, uh, especially like asking us to, to do vision and workshops when they're in the room. You know, from my point of view, it's definitely great to be in the same room. You kind of pick up on subtleties and nuances and you can respond to the client's answers and you can see how they're responding to your questions, you know. So yeah, I think that's invaluable to kind of achieving that shared vision. Okay. And Chris, first of all, what does this mean to you and the way you work with clients? Well, I don't come from a traditional design background and I don't pretend to be a designer. So even at the early stages of a project, I'm always asking questions of my interior design colleagues. I'm hopefully asking the right questions of my clients also, you know, essentially what you do and and what you need. And that's in order to develop an appropriate workplace strategy. But I'd be lying if I said I didn't have one eye in the future and to what types of spaces might be needed and how the strategy 
can be implemented. And while it can often be a standalone project, workplace consultancy can't operate in a vacuum and it has to be aware of the physical environment we're working in. And Lynn, you are a designer and you've also worked on front-end consultancy projects. What's your take on the topic? Yeah, I have. I've done a number of workplace consultancy projects, kind of commercial right through to, to healthcare. I suppose as a designer, I feel it's vital to be directly involved with the briefing process. I'm often heard saying, you know, good design starts and continues with good brief taking. And that's always been a bit of a mantra for me. Uh, and I like to become fully immersed in producing a design. And when you're with the client, you hear and you kind of feel exactly what they're needing and what their aspirations are, you know, firsthand. I think there's little point producing a workplace strategy that has no relationship with that unique set of problems that your clients got and, and they're asking you to, to resolve, you know? Okay, although, Chris, I agree that what you said earlier, that strategy can and has, has been from our own experience, a distinct project with an end stop once the final report has been received by the client. Yeah, it can be somewhat frustrating when that's as far as a project goes, but often there, there just isn't the funding to implement the proposed strategy. And possibly there's, there's actually not the desire to implement the changes that are recommended. But, you know, we're straying down a, a, a rabbit hole on that topic and we could rant upon that forever. So let's move on. Okay, so when you bring in a team from space, you're paying for expertise for time-served experience and client engagement and design. Most people have an interest in design and often our clients have an interest in how their space might look, but they struggle with how the space should function. It's our job to bring to the surface the key aspects of the business that the workplace can support and knit together the functional and the aesthetic aspects of the space. The concept of experiences is interesting as well, illustrated by the video that you've possibly seen where there are three sketches created. One is, you know, the text minute sketch which shows an, ama- an amazing amount of detail the second one is maybe one minute long and it's as some of the main features and then the final one you get 10 seconds where it, it's just rubbish you know the analogy here is that by following a consultative design approach you get the professional sketch you know, do it yourself and you really run the risk of getting the slapdash 10 second creation yeah i agree chris i mean that that video basically demonstrates accelerating a program and, and how that has an impact uh, on quality and uh, you know it's a huge risk to the client, you know, if they don't embrace people with experience and expertise. However, I do believe that the client really is a vital contributor to the design process. You know, we live in an age of, of image-heavy media, so you know, often the client will come to you fully prepared. They've got a real good idea and image in their mind of what they're looking for, and it's our jobs as designers to help them realise that. You know, that's where our expertise and kind of experience comes into play. We guide them towards that vision. And the emphasis being that it's their vision, not our vision. Exactly. Okay, so that sets the scene quite well. And we're going to touch on a couple of case studies in a moment. But first, I've got a couple of questions for you both. So Chris, you mentioned that the design process can start immediately in some respects. Now, the, the quote, which I think is attributed to Neil Usher, is if the brief is a design, start again. When do you think the design process starts, Lynn? Well, to me, the design process starts at the point of need. So that the client's recognition of a need is kind of the catalyst to all design projects. It might start as a a problem with their current office that they've put up with for too long and they now want to take action. Or 
perhaps they're kind of growing their business and, and the office is no longer fit for purpose. And, and sometimes, it, it, you know, they visited another rival's workplace and, and it sparks a bit of jealousy and, you know, it changes their vision for their business. So whatever the reason, you know, they're essentially forming a statement of need. And I, I think that is exactly where the design process starts. So if we assume that there's a well-written strategy report that is a blueprint in terms of the three work streams of people, technology and the physical environment, what should a client then ask themselves before we get into the design process in detail? As employers, what is our attitude towards our employees? How much do we trust them? Are, do we have a traditional or an agile culture? That reveals quite a lot. You know, Unlike traditional work environments, working nine to five behind the same desk, open plan, a more flexible kind of agile model gives employees ownership over their work, their way of working, create a culture of respect and trust. Getting to the heart of their attitude and culture can help us better understand our clients' capacity for change. And, and it will have an impact on the design solution that we ultimately produce. So, so there is some onus on the client to arrive prepared when the design team take over and start off with the developed brief? Absolutely. I would say that even before the client engagement process begins, the client should uh, really have done some homework. I know that the budget can be a touchy subject, uh, but at an early stage, it's useful for the client to have in their mind how transformative is this project going to be? You know, what are we looking at? Is it a lick of pain or a total revamp of the working environment or ways of working? You know, as a designer, I'm always seeking the best design solution that addresses my client's needs. However, if the budget isn't part of that conversation, then are we truly meeting all their needs? Now, we can be creative with the smallest of budgets and find sustainable solutions that still address the needs of the client. So it's really important to be upfront about budget expectations I would say. Yes, we've all had experience of the client being really excited about everything we've discussed in our IPA stages zero to one, and then suddenly getting a shock when the first budget cost is presented to them. And we know that the whole issue of sustainable refurbishment with a view to tackling carbon reduction has caught some clients off guard. That's only going to put more pressure on transformation budgets. You know, it would be naive to think that aesthetics are all that matters in an interior design workplace project. Uh, and obviously they, they have a big impact uh, on the setting, you know, the right tone, the right spirit for the space. But a well-designed workplace should enhance the employee experience and make the work people do easier. You know, it, it, reducing the friction and improving the efficiencies. There's a quote that I've used in, in presentations recently. It's from Mark Eltringham, the editor of Workplace Insight, and he states people should be unaware on one level of the amount of work that has gone and goes into their office while at the same time enjoying its benefits. Yeah, I mean, people complain if the office is too hot or too cold, too noisy or too... Essentially, they are complaining about the lack of choice in their environment. And I would suggest that a more agile working environment and model provides employees with that kind of ultimate perk, choice over how and where they work. You know, this has great effects on, on self-motivation, autonomy, and ultimately it makes people feel a lot less stressed at work. You know, it all contributes to having, you know, good job satisfaction. And while part of the process and the questioning will be generic, the more you work with a client, the more you understand them and the more tailored the questioning will become. As we've done in the other podcasts, I'd like to take a few minutes to discuss a couple of projects where a successful engagement process led to a really great design. Lynn, can you please tell us a bit about a recent project experience? Yeah, my project is a, a complete refurbishment of an existing uh, occupied office for about 40 people. Um, the client had recently rebranded the business and wanted to incorporate that branded 
into the office environment. And from their own conversations of how that they might do it, they started to expand, uh, you know, adding more to their project. You know, that it wasn't just going to be applying some signage and manifestation, but they wanted to actually consider how the current setup actually reflected that branding and, and how it was projecting the business. Um, so they asked us if, if we would join them for a, a visioning workshop and happily agree. The outcome of these visioning workshops really gave us a clear understanding of their aims for the project. You know, there's three big ones that they really focused on. It was their desire for a radical change in the working model, uh, you know, from traditional to agile, to create a collaborative environment uh, which encourages staff back to the the office, you know, having a real problem getting people back into the office with a lot of our clients and better integration of social amenity space. Now, I'm finding that amenity space is becoming usable workspace. Uh, uh, You know, it's such a trend uh, to do that. But, you know, once we developed a concept for this, we took the time at the start of the presentation to really relay the brief back to the client just before the presentation. And that that helped them kind of focus their minds and, and feel that same excitement that they did when they were forming that initial vision. And so when we presented the concept, they could really see how the brief and the concept were aligned. And at the end of the presentation, they were delighted, you know, they were vocalising, you know, we'd completely met the the brief. So we then went on to prepare their budget. Um, They didn't provide us with a budget. And despite us asking, you know, they preferred to see see the cost of it, hold off, uh, find out the cost of it before they actually shared their thoughts on on what their budget might be. Um, And this resulted in quite a bit of redesign from the original concept, which we were happy to do. But, you know, we now have a design that suits their needs. But we would have got to that point sooner had they kind of shared that information with us from the outset. So it's a shame that they, they didn't. Whilst we know that a big budget is not key to a successful design, designing with the knowledge of the budget is key to a smooth process. And I think clients should trust us to protect their budget and get the most from it. It's also interesting that post-pandemic, there's the additional challenge of providing spaces that will make people choose the office over the home workspace. If we believe that people collaborate best when physically together, we need to find ways to encourage their presence in the office, including accommodating focus, something that has perhaps been neglected previously. So Chris, the case study you're going to talk about has a bit of a history. So we started working with this rather conservative and quite hierarchical public sector client back in 2017 when I was working with Hard Design. Space were commissioned in 2021 to revisit the project. Uh, our questions uh, during engagement phase touched upon attendance models, the optimum settings for collaboration and, and what sorts of facilities the client thought would help encourage staff back to the workplace in, in greater numbers. And we ran multiple uh, workshops with staff and had us to you know, get as many people as possible to participate in the engagement and design process. The project was was completed before Christmas, the client is now in the space. And it was good to see from photographs uh, that the initial strategy and my interpretation of the client's vision has actually been retained by, by Spaces designers. Yes, there have been some subtle changes in the schedule of accommodation, but that's always the case once the reality of, of the fit out starts to prey in people's minds. And it was actually such a change from, from where they were pre-pandemic that this was inevitable. The new headquarters 
uh, has 40% of the space of the previous HQ. So, you know, they were ticking sustainability boxes right from the right from the outset. So we were initially commissioned to deliver RIBA stages zero to four, but were then retained uh, to administer the fit out through the construction phase. And you can find that case study on our website, Chris? Yeah, the case study I've talked about is lots of blue to reflect the client's logo and the fact that there's, there's a lock nearby. Uh, so there's a clue to the name of the client. Okay, so any design trends that either of you want to reflect upon before we wrap up? Well, I'll let my designer colleague Lynn have have the last word. But what I will say is that now and again, despite the work that we do with great visuals showing how furniture and design can really transform spaces, you still get some people who just want functionality and aesthetics means absolutely nothing to them. I guess ensuring that the spaces work for the client is is fundamental in an understanding of, of what a real, true working space looks like. It really comes from a methodical and a consultancy-led design process. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Chris, uh, and, and one that us designers must never forget. The space has to first and foremost work for the client. However, after working from home for so long, offices are now competing with kind of home environments where we can tailor the space to, to our very <laughs> idiosyncratic uh, requirements. You know, a, a well-designed office should enhance the employee experience. and make. However, it's also important to accommodate individual employee work styles and preferences of you know extroverts and introverts high concentration or, or focused solo workers um, as well as collaborative and really interactive teams um, and these different work styles need really diverse workspaces which should then be carefully located to kind of minimize that disruption to each of the users you kind of want to walk into the space and feel like there's a part of it that's just for you that can accommodate your needs these different work styles need diverse workspaces uh, which should then be kind of carefully located so that you don't disrupt uh, other users, you know. A combined space use and design strategy, that's kind of our secret sauce to good design. Okay, well, thank you, Lynn and Chris, for your time and insights. Uh, Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope that you found the discussion interesting. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we've discussed in this episode, or find out more about the services we offer, you can get in touch with inquiries at spacesolutions.co.uk. You can also find more of our live case studies on our YouTube channel at Create Great Space, or check out what we're up to via our LinkedIn page, Space. Or lastly, our Instagram page, which is again at Create Great Space.